So we need to talk about how do you determine what you want to accomplish? How do you know what your main thing is? And I love the idea that the way that you would do that is to think, what do I do well that other people don't do well or that other people struggle with? When do I feel natural? When do I feel happy? Find that purpose, find that impact by saying, what can I do that other people can't? What brings me joy and what brings me to flow state? What gets me to a place where time goes fast, where it disappears? Hello and welcome to the Optimal Agency Podcast. My name is Patrick Cummings. I'm joined by John Gilson. Together with you, we are exploring the ideas of agency, diving deep to discover a set of guidelines on how each of us can best operate in the day-to-day to maximize our personal autonomy, professional freedom, and ultimately our positive impact on the world. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. How the heck are you, John? Spectacular, Patrick. Spectacular. I'm excited. I'm always excited to talk to you. I'm particularly excited today because we're gonna we're gonna change things up a little bit here. We're gonna evolve the show for folks who uh, listen to Chasing Excellence. You will recognize what we're about to do. We're gonna change the format a bit. We're gonna start with a listener question. Things are going well. We're gonna talk about getting uh, questions into the show in a little bit. Folks are starting to send us questions, and so we're gonna start each of our episodes with one question from a listener. We're gonna then get into. Now, our main conversation today, we're going to talk about one of our rules of time, how to volunteer with caution. And then we're going to wrap things up with today. We're going to wrap it up with a, a, a recommendation from you in pursuit of agency. Are you ready to get into our question, John? Let's do it. We have a question from Jonathan. He is 45. He's 45 years old. He's got no kids and he is an online fitness coach. And this is his question. We have the opportunity to put our personal belongings in storage, give up the house we're renting, and temporarily live and travel in our RV full-time. By our estimates, it will allow us to double our savings rate while simultaneously catapulting us out of our comfort zone. We could potentially shave several years off uh, of saving for the down payment on a home while also contributing more to retirement. Good idea or great idea? That is well, it sounds like Good Jonathan's already, great idea. yeah, he's already made up <laughs> he's his already mind. Decided. <laughs> he's decided, he's decided. So next question. Now, yeah. I, I think there's a really interesting juxtaposition here, which is, uh, should I at any point sacrifice my lifestyle or change my lifestyle drastically in order to build my wealth? And I think there's a really interesting idea here in RV life, which is, at its core, it is the exercise of agency. This is someone saying, hey, I'm not really into the strictures of normal society. I don't want to rent anymore. I would like to take my, uh, I'd like to take my family and hit the road, you know? So we've got this kind of Jack Kerouac element here. So there is an exercise of agency in that alone. And I'd say the first thing when you're contemplating, should I chuck it all and move into an RV is what's the characterization here? Is this a sacrifice or is this an exercise of agency? And so if it's a sacrifice, that throws up a lot of caution flags for me. If it's an exercise of, hey, I want to have really good stories when I'm in my 70s and 80s and 90s, yeah, yeah, do it. Do it. Especially if it's reversible, you can always park the RV, sell the RV, and rent another place. And so to me, the risk profile here is probably fairly low, especially if, as Jonathan, you know, characterizes this as as good idea or great idea. It's clearly an exercise of agency. Let's talk about the math of dollars and saving here. 
we've talked previously about maximizing your savings rate and the utility of doing so uh, in generating freedom. Because in our mind, uh, time and money are essentially interchangeable. Uh, every dollar you earn has time attached to it unless you've already divorced your time from your income. And so uh, if you are able to save more money, in essence, what you're saving is future time. It's work you don't have to do in the future. And that's what he's talking about doing. He's also talking about taking that money and doing two things with it. One is I'm going to use that to increase my retirement contributions. The other is I'm going to use that to save for a down payment on a house so we don't have to be renters anymore. Okay. I would divorce the what are you going to do with the money from the accumulation of the money. I almost don't care what you do with the money as long as you're investing in passive and income generating assets. With retirement funds, you're generating in passive and income generating assets for f distant future you. Uh, now he's 45, you know, you can access IRAs at 59. So it's not actually that distant. We're talking about 14 years. So maximizing those contributions at that age, at that stage, depending on his current wealth is a really good idea. Uh, using it as a down payment for a house. Well, let's talk about this. Okay. So let's imagine it takes them five years from now to save up for that house and they get a traditional 30 year mortgage. Hey, let's do all the addition. 45-year-old Jonathan buys a house in five years with a 30-year time. When is that going to be paid off? When you're 80. That is a very, very long time to be very, very leveraged in a piece of real estate. And what I'd encourage you to do, Jonathan, go check out JL Collins and uh, read about the economics of home ownership. JL takes, and I own a home, uh, as do you, Patrick, but JL takes home ownership to the woodshed to the woodshed. He's like, how would you design a bad investment? You would make it geographically focused uh, so you can't move it. You'd make it very expensive in transaction costs to buy or sell. Uh, you would make it constantly fall apart such that it requires maintenance. And you would have to pay the government every year simply for the right to continue to own it. And, you know, I love that. Uh, and so don't look at a home ownership, Jonathan, as a path to wealth. It is in that it's forced savings for a lot of people. They're building equity, but that equity tends to increase at the rate of inflation. In other words, you might as well take that money and put it in a T-bill uh, and you'll be winning at this point. So buy a house because you want a house, not because you think it's going to make you wealthy. Take that extra money, put it in retirement. If you're not dead set on this home ownership thing for whatever reason, uh, I'd recommend that you just put the extra money in taxable accounts and start generating passive income that you can use right now. The first thing you said, or one of the first things you said about, um, uh, is this effectively you said, is this, you know, is this a strategy towards agency or is this a protective against something? In other words, like, are you doing this so that you can, uh, stave off something bad? Right. And I forget exactly the word you said, but to me, that reminded me of the conversation we had about offense and defense. And this feels very much like an offensive move toward agency versus a defensive move, which might be like, shit, we're, we're in too much debt. We got to downsize to the X extreme. Okay. A van. <laughs> no, not a van, mm -hmm. an RV, right? Like that to me is the, is the, an interesting distinction. And I think obviously Jonathan is, is playing, playing a game of offense here. And then the other thing, which you hinted at, which I think is really interesting about this particular lifestyle is it's sort of an extreme version of Parkinson's law in the sense of like, okay, you've complete, you've really constrained 
literally the space that you have to exist in. And so what happens then is you probably buy less stuff. You probably bring less stuff into your life, right? There's probably an element of like, like Jonathan said, we're going to put a bunch of stuff in storage. But my guess is that if this becomes the full time, you're not going to add more stuff to that storage container as you drive across the country, as you sort of see the sites, as you live this kind of way, because quite simply, you just don't have the space for it. And so not only does, to your point of home ownership being uh, a question mark, but one of the things about home ownership that is really like you you don't know it until you're in it, which is it's not just the cost of the house. It's the cost of all the stuff that has to go in the house. It's the cost of the maintenance of the house. It's the cost of the lawn care. It's the cost. There are all of these unseen costs of the that living in the RV suddenly you don't have. Obviously, you do have some upkeep and gas and et cetera. Um, but to me, it's just, again, it's just an extreme way of constraining such that you don't have to make decisions that ultimately do take away from your agency. Yeah. It's really brilliant observation, uh, that there are knock on effects. And yeah. one of the things that I really love that, uh, uh, NNT, the author of, um, the black swan, anti-fragile, yep. et cetera, talks about is a lot of people think about, uh, first order consequences. And they don't think about second order consequences when in fact, all of the upside or downside tends to be in the, not the therefore, but the therefore, therefore. Uh, and so I love that you're thinking about the second order consequence of RV life. Uh, you know, the other way that I've heard that put to the derogatory and, and the word I used, by the way, was sacrifice. Uh, yep. as the, the, yes, the opposite that's side yes, of that. You. you know, the other way I've heard that that uh, kind of van life characterized is poverty with a view. And so for me, it's how do you feel about it? Is this a is this an optimistic move or is this a pessimistic move? And, and to your point, it's clearly an optimistic move. Uh, Jonathan, enjoy enjoy driving a an RV around. Uh, get very good at not getting angry at traffic. <laughs> Also, just to be clear, because Jonathan was kind enough to send us a photo, this is like a beautiful Airstream that they have. Like, this is not, you know, your grandfather's RV that they're schlepping around. Uh, it's going to be cool. And hopefully, Jonathan keeps sending us pictures because we're super excited for you. All right. That was fun, John. Thank you. Uh, if you would like to get a question into a future episode, we would love to hear from you. The best way to do it is head to optimalagency.co slash questions. There's a form there. Leave us a question. Leave us a little bit of context like Jonathan did. Give us a sense of age, kids, profession, et cetera. That will help us uh, give a little bit more specific advice. Uh, and we look forward to uh, hearing from you and answering your questions in a future episode. Okay, my friend. We're going to dive into one of our rules today. Uh, one of our rules of time specifically. As a reminder, we've got six rules of time as we have six rules of health and wealth. Our six rules of time, just as a reminder, number one, default to no. Number two, limit recurring commitments. Number three, preserve unstructured time. Number four, what we're going to talk about this week, volunteer with caution. Number five, set boundaries and eliminate interruptions. And number six, respond slowly and carefully. I'm going to kick this conversation off with a little bit from our write-up um, on our, on optimalagency.co, you can get little write-ups on each one of these rules. I'm just going to kick off with the beginning of the write-up. The price of competence is demand skilled and accomplished. You will, you will routinely be asked to contribute to the visions and project projects of others as an employee, as a coworker, as a partner, as an advisor, as a paid or unpaid expert. 
These contributions will invariably be couched as opportunities presented to you as the thing that will catapult your career, help others in the highest sense, preserve your good standing as a member of the tribe, agree at your peril. I would like to start the conversation with what do we mean by volunteer? Could we just get a sense of like, what what are we talking about here? Volunteer, is that just like, hey, come to the soup kitchen once a month? Or is it more than that? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm expanding the definition of volunteering beyond what we would standard uh, beyond that standard definition of kind of habitat for humanity, soup kitchen style volunteering to saying yes to anything that is inherently optional upon the request of another person. So what I'm saying is I did not initiate this project. I did not initiate this request, but I'm being asked to respond to it and I'm being asked to give to it with my time, not my necessarily my money or my health, although those could be at issue. I'm being asked for time and effort in response to somebody else's need. This one in particular, this rule in particular, I think if you were to read through the, the rules quickly, you this one might stick out to you because there's a sense of like, we have this cultural zeitgeist around, if you are volunteering your time, you're a good person and we're clearly here to help people become better people. <laughs> and so where is the disconnect? Like why, why are we suggesting we volunteer with caution? Isn't volunteering a good thing? Isn't volunteering a sign that you are giving your time in an impactful and valuable way? Where is the, where is the nuance here as it relates to volunteering and why isn't it something that, uh, why is it something that we're suggesting where it might be in another universe, something that we're actually saying, like, you should do more of that, right? Because again, if we want to go real high, like what are we, what we're talking about here is increase your health, increase your wealth, increase your time freedom, so that you have agency, so that you have impact. Isn't volunteering at the local soup kitchen this weekend uh, uh, fast track to that impact? When I look at this project, Optimal Agency, what I think about is not, are you doing something good? It's, are you doing the most good that you are capable of given your skills, given your talents, given your connections, right? And given your, your raw cognitive and emotional horsepower. And for me, I believe that you will only do so if you self-determine the mission. And so when you are doing good against somebody else's mission, the question you really need to ask because time is zero sum is, is this the best use of my time? Is this the most impact I could make, right? Is this going to get me where I need to be? And my argument is that very rarely will that be the case. Now, what you're talking about when you're giving examples of volunteering here are time limited uh, and really kind of single action. So you, you're you saying, I spent the weekend at the soup kitchen. Cool. Okay, that's different than I spend every weekend at the soup kitchen. And so I think when most people volunteer, they do volunteer in a one-off, non-impactful fashion. And I'm very influenced by the work of William McCaskill in his book, Do Good Better, when he says, are you the best person to do this job? And if anyone could do what you're doing, the answer is almost invariably no, you are not contributing as you should be. So let's use the, the 
soup kitchen again, uh, because it's a convenient example. Anyone could be handing out turkey legs and bread. Anyone with hands <laughs> and arms. And so if you're doing that, we have to ask ourselves, is that your bet? And let's say you care about the mission. Let's say you care about the unhoused, the homeless, and helping them. Is that the best way you could do it? Well, if you've got a degree in finance, I'm going to argue no. If you've got a background in sales and you could be raising $100,000 a year for the soup kitchen, I'm going to say no. If you are volunteering on a one-off basis for something like that, that's obviously societally beneficial, but that gives you something to talk about at your next dinner party. You're not doing it to help the homeless. You're doing it for you. You're doing it so you can feel good about having done something useful. And so, yes, volunteering is good. Doing societal good is good, but you need to do it at the highest level that you are possibly capable of you need to do it at the top of your credentials that reminds me of and i don't i have no idea where i don't know where to uh um credit this to but it reminds me of something i've heard before about uh to what you're saying about like uh if you're doing it so that you can tell your friends later that you did it and again i don't know who to uh give credit to for this but it's something like if you are willing to do it but not tell anybody about it it's probably worth doing, or at least it's probably worth considering strongly whether or not you want to do it. Mm -hmm. And if, if it's not, if your answer is like, oh, okay, well, I, if I volunteer at the soup kitchen and I can't tell anybody, anybody about it, am I still excited about volunteering at the soup kitchen? And just as a, again, as a filter, as a, as a first step of, is this an opportunity that I want to pursue? Is this a project that I'm excited, that I'm excited about, that I'm intrinsically excited about? Is an, is an interesting filter, at least um, to me a little bit. So, okay. So there are a few things we want to hit on here. We've touched on them a little bit already to a degree, but there's, there's sort of four primary arguments that we're trying to make here with this rule of time. The one again, that you've hit on a little bit is, uh, be wary of projects that aren't yours. So let's hit on that first. But the second one is a reminder that time is a zero sum game. So let's unpack what that means. The third one is having a clarity of purpose as perhaps another filter through which you can look at, is this an opportunity that I want to pursue, um, that I want to spend my time on? And then the last one is learning how, and this is hard, learning how to say no to the good and interesting opportunities and saying yes only to the great opportunities and really uh, figuring out what the difference between those two things are. Okay, so let's start with uh, the first one first. Again, we've mentioned it a little bit. Uh, be wary of projects that are not yours. What do we mean by that? I'd like to further caveat that. It's beware of projects that aren't yours and that involve a general call for help. And so if you're in your workplace and let's say the boss uh, is in a staff meeting and says, hey, we're looking for uh, somebody to head this project, uh, let's say putting together our metrics for Q4, right? Anytime you have somebody putting out a general request for help, what's actually happening is they haven't thought through the project and they'd like to get it off their plate as soon as possible. And so this is delegation without any sort of intellectual effort. And so what I'm saying is, hey, I know somebody else is going to take care of this, but I'm giving you evidence in the moment that I haven't thought through what the project is going to be. And so there is, therein lies the peril. So if your boss will take anyone to head a project, 
They haven't thought through what are the skills needed to succeed at the project. So they haven't thought through what success at the project looks like. And so you could view that as an opportunity. I have the opportunity to define success, but you could also say that this project can't possibly be that important if the executive in charge of it hasn't thought through what the outcome needs to be. Right. And so that is a fraught situation. And, uh, you know, I was the kind of kid, Patrick, and uh, this shouldn't surprise you at all, you know, college, high school and, and prior who would throw my hand in the air and say, me, 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 like, you know, I know the answer. Let's do this. Uh, and that behavior as an adult will just get you in all kinds of hot water in terms of undefined projects, but in terms of a workload that you never really wanted. And so it's not just volunteer, don't do this once, you know, it's do this repeatedly, especially at your peril. Do not be the go-to guy or gal unless the thing that's being requested fits your skill set like a glove and you are the person being asked. It reminds me, and I have something from Tim Ferriss that I think about often uh, about, and this is, he was having a conversation with Adam Grant uh, about how he picks projects. And obviously it's Tim Ferriss, his context is different than ours, but he said this, I try to select projects where I win, even if it fails. I try to embed the success question into the design or the selection of the project. The basic idea is that I try to choose projects where I am heavily uh, weighing two things, development of new skills or rapid development of existing skills and developing relationships with people I know I can, uh, I can know for 10 to 20 years. And so to me, that speaks to what you're just talking about, which is like nobody else has defined success for this particular project. And so if you can then say, well, does it meet these two metrics of success, right? Uh, do, and can I, and can I, do I have enough agency over the project such that I can actually design it such that it does meet these two criteria criteria? Good. If not to your point, this is not your project. Yeah. Yeah. Those are lovely criteria. I can't tell you how handy it's been, you know, now in my, in my rolling up on my mid forties to start new projects and to be able to call on a host of very talented people to help, uh, you know, and that's the, that's the flip side, but that should be a premeditated thing. You, you want to be getting involved in these things with your eyes open, not because somebody asked a question and you <laughs> didn't have the self-control to sit in the discomfort of the ask uh, long enough for somebody else to say yes. <laughs> somebody else to do it. All right. The next one we've got on our list is to remember that time is zero sum. Mm, yeah. Uh, this is almost a philosophical observation, but it's a real observation. Uh, Patrick, you can be rich and I can be rich. We can both be wealthy and you getting wealthy does not preclude me from, from doing so. Uh, same with health but not so with time if we're the only two parties to the exchange. In other words, if I give you my time, I don't have it anymore for my ends and vice versa. Uh, and so that's really where these time rules come in and why they feel so draconian. They're very uh, couched in the idea that nobody's making more time. And not only is time zero sum, right? It's bounded uh, by your literally your working career, your lifespan. Uh, and so uh, I have a 25% probability of living to 91, according to uh, some actuarial calculators. Uh, and so you look at that and you say, okay, is this the kind of thing that I want to give an hour to? Sure. Okay. Two hours, five hours, a year, two years, five years. And if you 
marry that to the idea that the true impact you'll have on the world will not be done momentarily. You're not going to do it in an hour. You're not going to do it in a week. It would stand to reason that the slow accumulation of momentum towards that impact is what you want. And therefore, anything that detracts from the accumulation of that momentum by taking your zero-sum time takes you away from the ultimate and highest impact you could have on the world. Now, obviously, that could be used as an excuse to never help anyone else <laughs> or to do anyone else's project. And that is not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that you bring your your cerebral uh powers to bear rather than your need for social approval to bear in evaluating these opportunities. Yeah. And that latter one is something we talked about a lot with the time rule, the time rule number one, which is to default to no. Uh, so go back to that episode if you haven't listened to that yet, because we do spend quite a bit of time on on trying to <laughs> trying to parse apart those two conflicting needs of I really want people to like me and I'd really like more agency in my life. And sometimes those things are, are, are at conflict with each other. But that's also a really nice segue, I think, into our third uh, bullet point here, which is to get really clear on your particular purpose and whether or not this 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 activity, this volunteer activity, this opportunity is in line with that or perhaps it's in line, as we've talked about, with somebody else's clear purpose. Yeah, and I feel like I owe... Uh, you know, we owe our listeners an apology here in that we talk about purpose uh, in the abstract and in the abstract only. Uh, do you know what you are here to do? If you do, hew to it. But the reality is really simple. Most people don't. They don't know what they're trying to accomplish. Okay. And so we need to talk about how do you determine what you want to accomplish? How do you know what your main thing is? You know, and I think what you do is you start with the domains. You start with health, wealth, and time. And you say, which of these things gets me the most excited? Which of these things lags the most? Where do I need to put in time? Not towards impact, but towards serenity. In other words, first of all, I need you to remove the massive sources of stress from your life so that you can have an impact. If you're focused on your own tiny little narrow world bullshit, you cannot impact the earth. If you're worried about eating, you need to solve for that. If there's no love in your life, you need to solve for that. If your relationship is shit and it needs to be better, you need to solve for that. And if you've got no money in the bank, you need to solve for that. But once you've solved for those things, you will be in a headspace where you're allowed, per me, <laughs> I'm allowing you, you're welcome. We, to, we're giving you permission. Yeah, we're giving you permission to think about impact. And I love the idea that the way that you would do that is to think, what do I do well that other people don't do well or that other people struggle with? When do I feel natural? When do I feel happy? Uh, you know, and it's going to be unexpected. If you had asked me when I was 12 years old, if I would get absolute joy out of going into a spreadsheet K-hole and doing data analysis for businesses, I would be like, hmm. Yeah, that sounds super fun. Did you mean, <laughs> did you mean motorcycle racer? Right. Right. Did you like mean skateboarding. Did you mean skateboarding? <laughs> I'm confused here. Um, and I found this ability, uh, through happenstance to derive real world insight from numbers on a page to a degree that 
almost none of my peers possess. And so I'm able to go to small businesses as a consultant and make a massive impact on their operation in a very short amount of time through that. And so find that purpose, find that impact by saying, what can I do that other people can't? What brings me joy and what brings me to flow state? What gets me to a place where, uh, you know, what gets me to a place where time goes fast, where it disappears? And I think there's one other criteria you have to overlay on that impact, which is this needs to fit with my life. So you either need to make impact in a way that gets you a paycheck if you don't have sufficient wealth already saved, or you need to pay, make impact in a way that does not imperil those basic things uh, around having serenity in your life. You can't imperil your own financial well-being or your relationship with your spouse or your partner in order to make that impact. So I think, Patrick, as we go along, uh, we're going to talk more and more about how do we figure out what our main thing is? Uh, one thing I want to just tag on to that is something that Adam, uh, Adam Grant writes about in his book, Give and Take, which is a little bit about this. Um, but it's this heuristic that I really like that I think is worth just highlighting. And, and the heuristic is like, as you increase your ability to help people, you increase your energy, your general, like, your general well-being. And as you increase your energy, you effectively increase your ability to be successful. And so I bring that up because I think one of the things that is worth hammering on is not, you know, with this particular rule is not like, hey, don't volunteer, don't help people. But it's in line with this purpose is are you helping the right people in the right way towards what you believe your value set lead to that you believe your purpose here is that you believe your unique uh, genius can actually help. Not, hey, yeah, like I can pick up boxes and I can move them, but is that the most valuable, uh, is that the most valuable use of my time? Probably not. Probably not. Because that's, that is effectively grunt work. And what we're saying back to your saying, uh, your uh, point about like, is this a general call for help? We want a specific call for help. And that specificity means it is in line with our purpose, our values, our skills, and the places we want to go. Back to what Tim Ferriss was talking about. This will help me build skills. This will help me further develop skills. This will help me create and nurture relationships and a network that I can then 2x, 3x, 5x down the road, such that in 10 years, I'm having outsized uh, impact that I'm helping outsized number of people. This is not, we don't want you to help people. <laughs> This is, we want you to be very intentional about who you help and how you help them. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's why this rule is volunteer with caution and with caution. not don't volunteer ever. Yeah. Okay. So this last one, this last bullet point is a hard one and a hard one for me, which is that beginning to understand the difference and beginning to lean towards the ladder of good opportunities. Hey, that's That could be fun. Maybe. Yeah, that's sure. Why not? And the right opportunities or great opportunities or uh, once in a lifetime opportunities. The, the important part of that is, and we've talked about this before in a number of our conversations about time is if you say yes to five good opportunities, you simply don't have the brain space, the space in your calendar to say yes to that one great one. If, and when it does show up, everything is a trade in the adult life. Every domain that you want to maximize demands that you mitigate or minimize another because time is zero sum. And so you don't want to hold space forever 
for that great opportunity. Sometimes an opportunity that's merely acceptable turns into a fantastic opportunity, turns into a great thing. In other words, you might volunteer for a small thing locally in your community and end up being the select person who uh, convinces the school board to triple funding for kids to learn, let's call it uh, Python programming. And those kids go out into the world, make a difference, move back to that community and increase your tax base tremendously. So, you know, the small thing can turn into the big thing. But I think what's important here is to, in the micro, develop the ability once you have a purpose and you know what it is not to deviate, to just point at it and stay pointed at it. And there's this death by a thousand cuts phenomenon that happens to the best of us in the work, especially in the workplace frankly, where you know what your key performance indicator is for the quarter or the year or your career. You say, this is what I'm here to do. This is the expression of my zone of genius. This is it. And somebody will come and say, this will only take two hours. Will you do this? This will only take a week. Will you do this? Et cetera, et cetera. And that imposition takes you off that course. And I think it's ironic, and we've talked about this, we think that saying yes is going to be the thing that gets you esteem. Actually saying no is the thing that gets you esteem. If you can articulate that no alongside the because I'm working on this, it is my highest purpose, it's very important to all of our future, and I need to stay focused on that. I hope you understand. And then you trade what you would have, you trade the time that you would have, or you almost gave away for going even deeper towards, again, the skill, the purpose, the, the thing that you are here to do. Yeah. And that's with foresight. So maybe we should talk for just a second about what do you do if you've already massively screwed this up? <laughs> yes, because that's probably more applicable to more people's situation. Hey, I'm a, I'm a team player. Like there, there's a, that's the joke of executives everywhere. They're like, he's a team player. What they really mean is he'll do anything we ask him to, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. You're a team player, yep. but imagine that you are a team player and I love you and I'm sorry. Uh, and now you need to, you need to pull back from being a team player, right? The best way to do that is to sit down and rank order potential impact of the things you're doing. Go to your higher ups, or if you're the higher ups, simply say, what can I stop doing? That's your first stop. What can I not do anymore and let it go and won't have that big of an impact? Often we get our own pet projects when we have a certain level of agency where we, we stop, we don't stop to say, is this working or not working? So find the things that aren't working, find the things that don't have impact, get rid of them. The next thing is to all those meetings on that calendar, go and say, I'm no longer, don't ask, I'm no longer able to attend this meeting. What can we do instead to ensure the flow of information? Look for asynchronous solutions, uh, exchange of docs, etc. And so if you volunteered for all these things, what I'm saying is get out of them. Create the space, even if you don't know what your purpose, what your main thing is, create some space for it to emerge and for it to occur. Because if you allow yourself to go after each of those individual things, one after another, after another, each of which will have a minor impact. They don't add up. You don't get 50 things that have a minor impact adding up to the one thing that has a major impact. They might have a quarter of the impact or no impact at all. And so create space first, and then we can focus on, on understanding what that North Star is. 
Love that. I think that's a good place to wrap this conversation up about this particular rule of time. Again, volunteer with caution. We are going to uh, give a book recommendation that I think is aligned with this conversation. You can you can fill us in, John. You can tell us. But first, we want to invite you to get your HWT score. What is that? We have put together a list of 60 questions. We call it the HWT questionnaire because we're very creative. Uh, <laughs> you can get it at optimalagency.co slash HWT. And what it will do, it will walk you through a series of questions, takes about five to 10 minutes. It will spit out at the end a score for you, and it will help you get a clear sense of where you are strong across health, wealth, and time freedom, and where you are weak across health, wealth, and time freedom. And then more importantly, we will follow up with specific actions that you can take, much uh, much like John just laid out in terms of, okay, got it, now what? We'll give you a whole bunch of suggestions based on where you are strong and where you are weak. So again, optimalagency.co slash HWT. We look forward to seeing you over there. All right, we're going to wrap this conversation up, this episode up with a recommendation, a book recommendation that you've got. What are we reading this week? Uh, I want you to read Measure What Matters uh, by John Doerr. That's D-O-E-R-R is that last name. Uh, and John Doerr uh, was an early advisor to the stars in Silicon Valley, really. Uh, yeah, Google primarily uh, Larry Page and, and Sergey Brin. And he introduced to them a concept called the OKR, Objectives and Key Results. And the important thing to understand is, well, first of all, read the book. But the important thing to understand about OKRs is on a quarterly or annual basis, you're saying these are our objectives as a company. These are my objectives as an individual. And this is easily ported into your personal life. And not only is this is the objective, a measurable objective, how I'm going to accomplish it in a time bounded objective. It's also here are the three or four key results I expect to see that are also mostly quantitative in fashion. I use the OKR system at several of the companies uh, that I work with, and it is remarkable in its ability to maintain focus because you don't get 10 objectives with 15 key results a piece. You get three. Mm -hmm. you get two. And so you have to decide at the beginning of any period, what is the one or two things I could do that will have the most impact to get momentum and move this project, whether personal or professional, forward? I love the OKR system. I love this book from John Doerr. A lot of people think, I just heard what Gilson said, got it. No, you don't read the book. Uh, yes. And I can't tell you how many times I've run into in the corporate world, people saying, oh yeah, we use OKRs. And then they show them to me and they don't, they use the ghost and shadow of OKRs. So read the book, right. enjoy it, bring it to your workplace uh, and enjoy the fruits of, of directed and, and pointed accomplishment. Yeah. I think the thing I like about that book and, and the OKR, OKR system is it takes that big goal of like, okay, in a year from now, we want X number of widgets going through the factory at whatever, right? But then, which is what everybody tends to stop at, like big goal, smart goal, got it a year from now. And then you get into the the haze of real life and real work and and you lose sight of like, am I actually moving towards that? Am I closer to that than I was two weeks ago? And what the system does, it allows you to kind of basically put checkpoints down and say, okay, well, if that's the goal for a year from now, best we can figure we should be here in three months. Okay, got it. And that three month, given that it's much closer to you, is more easily measured, more easily 
focused on. And again, if you keep going down that trajectory and say, okay, we got that first three month mark. Now there's the next one and here's the next one. It's, it's, it's such a great element, uh, or it's a, it's a great effort at breaking big goals down into manageable, measurable, attainable, short-term goals that all line up together towards that big goal. Yeah. And so, yeah, people I will feel like they're in a haze at work. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. Right. You can pull yep. that OKR doc up every week, every Monday morning, have it be the first thing you look at and say, oh, right. That's what yep. I need to do this week. And if somebody says, hey, can anybody help me with this project? You can look at that list and say, ah, uh, not in line with my priorities. Yeah. Not my project. Oh, not it's, my a, problem. it's a secret power, man. You're like, they're like, can you do this? You're like, mm, okay, ours. Sorry, it's not yeah, one sorry. of them. Bye. <laughs> I'll consider it All for right. next quarter. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, that was fun. Love this new format. Excited to get questions uh, into future episodes. Uh, thank you out there, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Thanks for sending us the notes that you do. John and I will be back for another episode of Optimal Agency next week.